You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, March 17th, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, dementia risk rises if you live with chronic pain from CNN. And magnesium supplements are a buzzy new sleep and anxiety aid. Do they work? From time. Plus, decaf coffee found to reduce the effects of caffeine withdrawal. From New Atlas. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. Dementia risk rises if you live with chronic pain, study says, by Sandy Lamott from CNN. Chronic pain, such as arthritis, cancer, or back pain, lasting for over three months, raises the risk of cognitive decline and dementia, a new study found. The hippocampus, a brain structure highly associated with learning and memory, aged by about a year in a 60-year-old person who had one site of chronic pain compared with people with no pain. When pain was felt in two places in the body, the hippocampus shrank even more, the equivalent of just over two years of aging, according to estimates in the study published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, or PNAS. In other words, the hippocampal, or gray matter volume, in a 60-year-old individual with chronic pain at two body sites was similar to the volume of pain-free controls aged 62-year-old, wrote corresponding author Tu Yehang and his colleagues. Tu is a professor of psychology at the Chinese Academy of Sciences in Beijing. The risk rose as the number of pain sites in the body increased, the study found. Hippocampal volume was nearly four times smaller in people with pain in five or more body sites compared with those with only two, the equivalent of up to eight years of aging. Asking people about any chronic pain conditions and advocating for their care by a pain specialist may be a modifiable risk factor against cognitive decline that we can proactively address, said Alzheimer's disease researcher Dr. Richard Isaacson, a preventive neurologist at the Institute for Neurodegenerative Diseases of Florida. He was not involved in the new study. Cognition declined with pain. The study analyzed data from over 19,000 people who had undergone brain scans as part of the UK Biobank, a long-term government study of over 500,000 UK participants between the ages of 40 and 69. People with multiple sites of body pain performed worse than people with no pain on 7 of 11 cognitive tasks, the study found. In contrast, people with only one pain site performed worse on only one cognitive task, the ability to remember to perform a task in the future. The study controlled for a variety of contributing conditions, age, alcohol use, body mass, ethnicity, genetics, history of cancer, diabetes, vascular or heart problems, medications, psychiatric symptoms, and smoking status, to name a few. However, the study did not control for levels of exercise, Isaacson said. 
Exercise is the number one most powerful tool in the fight against cognitive decline and dementia, he said via email. People affected by multi-site chronic pain may be less able to adhere to regular physical activity as one potential mechanism for increased dementia risk, he said. Equally important is a link between chronic pain and inflammation, Isaacson said. A 2019 review of studies found pain triggers immune cells called microglia to create neuroinflammation that may lead to changes in brain connectivity and function. People with higher levels of pain were also more likely to have reduced gray matter in other brain areas that impact cognition, such as the prefrontal cortex and frontal lobe, the same areas attacked by Alzheimer's disease. In fact, over 45% of Alzheimer's patients live with chronic pain, according to a 2016 study cited by the review. The study was also not able to determine sleep deficits. Chronic pain often makes getting a good night's sleep difficult. A 2021 study found sleeping less than six hours a night in midlife raises the risk of dementia by 30%. A global disability. Globally, low back pain is a leading cause of years lived with disability, with neck pain coming in at number four, according to the 2016 Global Burden of Disease Study. Arthritis, nerve damage, pain from cancer, and injuries are other leading causes. Researchers estimate over 30% of people worldwide suffer with chronic pain. Pain is the most common reason people seek health care and the leading cause of disability in the world, according to articles published in the journal The Lancet in 2021. In the United States alone, at least one in five people, or some 50 million Americans, live with long-lasting pain, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Nearly 11 million Americans suffer from high-impact chronic pain, defined as pain lasting over three months that's accompanied by at least one major activity restriction, such as being unable to work outside the home, go to school, or do household chores, according to the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. Chronic pain has been linked to anxiety, depression, restrictions in mobility and daily activities, dependence on opioids, increased health care costs, and poor quality of life. A 2019 study estimated about 5 million to 8 million Americans were using opioids to manage chronic pain. Treating chronic pain. Pain management programs typically involve a number of specialists to find the best relief for symptoms while providing support for the emotional and mental burden of pain, according to Johns Hopkins Medicine. Medical treatment can include over-the-counter and prescription medications to stop the pain cycle and ease inflammation. Injections of steroids may also help. Antidepressants increase the amount of serotonin, which controls part of the pain pathway in the brain. Applying brief bursts of electricity to the muscles and nerve endings is another treatment. Therapies such as massage and whirlpool immersion and exercises may be suggested by occupational and physical therapists. Hot and cold treatments and acupuncture may help as well. Psychologists who specialize in rehabilitation may recommend cognitive and relaxation techniques such as meditation, tai chi, and yoga that can take the mind off fixating on pain. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a key psychological treatment for pain. 
going on an anti-inflammatory diet may be suggested, such as cutting back on trans fats, sugars, and other processed foods. Weight loss may be helpful as well, especially for back and knee pain, according to Johns Hopkins. Up next, magnesium supplements are a buzzy new sleep and anxiety aid. Do they work? By Haley Weiss from Time. Everyone on TikTok is bleary-eyed and anxious, it sometimes seems. The generations that dominate the app, Gen Z and Millennials, are also those most beleaguered by anxiety, which is closely tied to sleep disturbances. It's little wonder, then, that supposed sleep aids like tart cherry juice, brown noise, melatonin, and CBD are constant fixtures on the social media platform. Now, the app's wellness community has latched onto the latest supplement touted to heal both poor sleep and anxiety, magnesium glycinate, one of nearly a dozen over-the-counter supplements that can be used to boost the body's levels of magnesium. Content creators insist that it helps them go to bed hours earlier than they usually do, eases insomnia, and lets them unwind at the end of the day. One nurse practitioner on the app called Magnesium Glycinate her Holy Grail supplement. So, does it really work? What is magnesium? Magnesium, of course, isn't new. It's a mineral element that you already have in your body, thanks to foods like nuts, seeds, beans, and certain vegetables and dairy items. It works within the cells of multiple body systems to keep muscles, nerves, and other parts functioning properly. Someone trying to sell you supplements might tell you that as many as half of U.S. adults are magnesium deficient. And while this is technically true, most of us still get enough to prevent any real noticeable effects, says Emily Tarleton, a registered dietitian and researcher at Northern Vermont University. Significant magnesium deficiencies are much less common and often come with symptoms like fatigue, weakness, and nausea. Some researchers, however, have also suggested that there could be connections between even mild magnesium deficiency and sleep disorders. In nature, magnesium is always found in combination with other elements, meaning that there are many ways to deliver it into the body. Magnesium products and supplements mirror this diversity of form. You can buy capsules like magnesium citrate, beverage additives like magnesium lactate, or salts, which include magnesium sulfate, a.k.a. Epsom salt, and are designed to deliver small amounts of the mineral through the skin. Magnesium glycinate is popular because it's among the capsule forms that are the most bioavailable, meaning that a larger amount of the mineral can be used by the body. Do magnesium supplements improve mental health or sleep? Tarleton is one of the few researchers who have studied magnesium's effect on depression in a randomized clinical trial, the gold standard for medication studies. In her 2017 study, she found that people who took 248 milligrams of elemental magnesium from magnesium chloride tablets each day reported improvements in feelings of depression over six weeks. The same year, a review of 18 small studies found that people who took various magnesium supplements reported improvements in symptoms of anxiety. 
In Tarleton's study, one of the other side effects was increased sleep, she says. Though she hasn't studied magnesium supplements' effects directly on sleep, it makes sense to her that the mineral would work as a sleep aid, particularly in the more bioavailable forms like magnesium glycinate and magnesium chloride. Magnesium plays a huge role in muscle contraction, she says. Athletes will sometimes use it for muscle cramping. So our theory is that the muscle relaxation side effect could help with sleep, she says. When sleep quality has appeared in magnesium supplementation research, it's most often as a side effect. In studies where magnesium has been given to people with migraines, polycystic ovary syndrome, or PCOS, and a few other health conditions, sleep improvements have sometimes been reported but are rarely formally tracked. A few studies have looked at magnesium supplements exclusively as an insomnia treatment, but they have all been too small and targeted to specific populations to draw conclusions from. One such study in 2012 included only elderly participants and had a sample size of only 46 people. Another more recent study from 2019 included magnesium as an insomnia treatment, but only as part of a supplement that also contained melatonin and vitamin B. In 2022, the authors of a review that analyzed all studies of magnesium as an insomnia treatment concluded that without more and longer-lasting research, no definitive link between magnesium and sleep could be drawn. Magnesium's biggest starring role in the health world has long been for the treatment of migraines. Certain formulas and strengths are made available via prescription to those who suffer from the attacks. Current theories about how magnesium works to alleviate these symptoms primarily suggest that magnesium gives the brain a sort of boost to resume normal function, including moderating the release of chemical signals and drawing healing factors into the area. While there's no firm evidence that any of these processes would also apply to the sleep-addled mind, Tarleton says that it's plausible. How to use magnesium safely. If you want to try magnesium for sleep, relaxation, or any other reason, it's important to make sure you actually know how much you're taking. And because supplements aren't regulated in the same way medications are, magnesium tablets may have other ingredients mixed in. There are very few magnesium supplements that have been tested and verified in terms of knowing exactly what's in them, says Tarleton. She recommends always checking the bottle's label to make sure the manufacturers have listed the amount of elemental magnesium, essentially the volume of just the mineral itself, present in the pills. A healthcare professional is best suited to point you toward a good starting dosage and weigh in on whether you should take magnesium at all, since supplements are not risk-free. The big side effects of too much magnesium are diarrhea, upset stomach, and eventually nausea and throwing up, says Tarleton. Those are sort of the first signs that you may be taking too much. Like any sleep aid, it's also best to use magnesium supplements sparingly since their side effects can weaken over time, Tarleton says. And before you start popping supplements, consider revamping your sleep hygiene and habits. It's much easier to take a supplement than to try to really take a hard look at what the reasons are that you're not sleeping well to begin with, she says. Up next, decaf coffee found to reduce effects of caffeine withdrawal by Ben Cogsworth from New Atlas. If you've ever tried quitting caffeinated coffee, you may have encountered side effects such as headaches, 
irritability, and fatigue. A new study suggests that drinking decaffeinated coffee can reduce those effects, even if you know it's just decaf. Led by Dr. Lou Mills, a team of scientists at the University of Sydney started with a group of 61 heavy coffee drinkers, all of whom regularly consumed at least three cups of caffeinated coffee per day. After going without any coffee for 24 hours, those people had their withdrawal symptoms measured. They were then divided into three groups. One was given water to drink, one was given decaf and told that it was decaf, and one was given decaf and told that it was regular caffeinated coffee. In other words, they were lied to. When asked to rate their withdrawal symptoms 45 minutes later, the lied-to group reported the most pronounced reduction, presumably due to the placebo effect. That said, the group that knew they were drinking decaf still reported a significantly larger reduction than the water group. This phenomenon, called the open-label placebo effect, occurs when something that is known to be a placebo still produces beneficial placebo-like effects. In the case of the known-to-be-decaf coffee, the scientists believe that after years of associating the taste and smell of coffee with a reduction in withdrawal symptoms, the test subjects had become conditioned to still experience a bit of that reduction, even though they weren't expecting it. While the open-label placebo effect wouldn't be a long-term solution to caffeine withdrawal, Mills believes that it could help coffee quitters ride out the worst of their cravings by having a cup of decaf. The team's findings could conceivably also be applied to the treatment of other types of chemical addictions. This study shows cognitive factors like what you expect and how much of a drug you think you have in your body have a big effect on how you experience withdrawal symptoms, said Mills. We did this study to model some of the processes involved in addiction to any drug, including more serious or harmful drugs. What we found has some promise for developing new treatments for addiction that integrate placebo effects, he said. The research is described in a paper that was published in the journal Psychopharmacology. Up next, do you really need 10,000 steps a day? That goal may not be ideal for everyone. Find the right number for you. From Consumer Reports on Health. Perhaps you've heard that you should get 10,000 steps every day for your health. But that's not actually a hard and fast rule. Research is finding that you might be able to take fewer steps as you age and still get serious benefits. If you're over age 60, for example, you might be able to cut a 10,000-step goal by almost half and stay healthy. There is no single magic number, says Amanda Palak, Ph.D., a physical activity researcher and assistant professor of kinesiology at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. The Benefits of Stepping It Up In one large analysis of the research on this question, published in 2022 in the journal Lancet Public Health, scientists found that the risk of premature death decreases as your daily step count increases. The people who walked about 5,800 steps a day, for example, had a 40% lower risk of premature death compared with those who took the fewest steps, about 3,600 a day. Getting in your steps, even well below 10,000, may have other benefits, too. In another 2022 study, taking just under 4,000 daily steps was linked with a lower risk of dementia. 
And according to a study of 70-year-olds published in the journal BMC Public Health, those who tallied 4,500 daily steps or more had a 59% lower risk of diabetes than those who were less active. That decline in risk leveled off at 8,000 steps. The risk of developing heart disease and cancer seems to follow a similar pattern, with uncertain benefits beyond about 10,000 steps. High step counts may also be associated with a lower risk for sleep apnea, reflux, depression, and obesity, according to a 2022 study in Nature Medicine. Step count goals and age. It is likely that with each decade, you may require fewer steps per day to create a physiological response that could lead to health benefits, says Palak. Case in point, in the Lancet study, younger adults didn't get substantial benefits related to mortality beyond 8,000 to 10,000 steps. But for those over the age of 60, the point of diminishing returns came at 6,000 to 8,000 steps. This may be because a certain amount of exercise, like walking a half mile, may be more strenuous for an average 70-year-old compared with an average 40-year-old. Create a personal plan. There's no minimum number of steps you need to boost your health. It's not an all-or-nothing situation, says Palak. Each increase of 1,000 to 2,000 steps can lead to health benefits, particularly for those starting at lower activity levels, she says. To figure out your step goal, start by quantifying how many steps you get in a typical week, recommends David R. Bassett, Ph.D., a physical activity researcher and emeritus professor at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Then increase your daily average by 500 to 1,000. Once you can hit that new number regularly for a week, add another 500 to 1,000 steps. Continue increasing your daily steps until you're in the range of 6,000 to 8,000 steps if you're 60 or older, or 8,000 to 10,000 steps if you're younger. If you're already at the top of your range, keep it up. If you feel like you can do more, go for it. But don't worry if you can't hit a certain target. Do what you feel that you are capable of doing, says Bassett. As long as you're moving, you're reaping some benefits, he says. Up next, On Your Mind, the question of the month from Consumer Reports on Health, and this is in question and answer format. Question. How can I cut back on salt and still enjoy flavorful food? Answer. First, consider adding more fresh foods and low or no sodium versions of canned and packaged foods, such as beans, to your diet. Packaged and prepared foods like restaurant or supermarket meals are the source of 70% of the sodium we eat, according to the Food and Drug Administration. At home, top meat, fish, chicken, beans, grains, and vegetables with a squeeze of lemon or lime, a sprinkle of nuts, a drizzle of olive oil and or herbs and spices instead of salt. Sear, roast, or saute proteins and veggies to intensify their flavor. A bit of cheese on a salad or a ham bone in a pot of soup can add a touch of saltiness, but little sodium. Question. My socks leave indents on my ankles. What does this mean? Answer. Sock marks may be a sign of fluid buildup in your legs and feet, a problem for about one in five older Americans. This can be caused by anything, from sitting for long periods to certain meds to serious health issues such as heart failure or kidney problems. 
It's best to let your doctor know so that they can pinpoint the cause of the buildup, especially if swelling is sudden or worsening. And call your doctor right away if you have heart, kidney, or liver disease, the area is red or warm, or if you also have a fever. Question. Do supplements work as well as statins for cholesterol? Answer. You can't assume that supplements promoted to lower cholesterol are as effective as statins prescribed by your doctor, say Cleveland Clinic researchers. In a recent study of 190 older adults at higher than normal risk for heart disease, they found that a low-dose statin reduced bad LDL cholesterol by 38%. LDLs fell only 1 to 6% for those taking supplements of red yeast rice, plant sterols, fish oil, or turmeric, which is on a par with a placebo, and rose slightly for those taking garlic or cinnamon. Plus, you can't know for sure that what is on a supplement's label is what's actually in the bottle. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.